0: of course it is uh, National Youth Day it's 44 years since the generation of 76 took to the streets and said no more uh, they had suffered of course uh, humiliation under the apartheid government they would watched their parents in their view uh, really accept their fate and they took matters into their own hands but how much of our history that story and others have we preserved in this country how well uh, do we remember Remember the past and learn from it. Uh, We are joined now by Director of Research uh, at ASRI, uh, Angelo Fick. Always a pleasure to chat to you. Good morning and welcome to our program.
1: Good morning, Mugani, to you and to your listeners.
0: When we commemorate a day like Youth Day, remembering the generation of 76, uh, it is about uh, remembering the past and obviously to learn from it and to map a way forward. But outside of the days that are so clearly marked, uh, Angelo, how well do we as a country preserve our memory?
1: So I'm old enough to have lived through 1976 as a three-year-old, and for years I knew it as Soweto Day. So to me there is the double-layered memory of knowing it as Soweto Day in um, apartheid South Africa, Um, or the era of apartheid South Africa, and then knowing it as um, Youth Day in the post-apartheid period. Um, And so it isn't just that we commemorate things in public with plaques in museums. It's also that we remember it um, either because we've lived through it or because we've lived through the storytelling of it. And here I think it is the storytelling of it that is very important because in a majority young country, the majority of people in this country did not live through 1976 as adults or even as young adults. Uh, and crucially also that um, they're not being given all of the stories that were written about it shortly after that. So here the writers like Miriam Gladly, um people like uh, Mungani Serote, Bulelu Zamani. All of these writers actually wrote very shortly after the events about these events um, in ways that I think should become part of people's remembering of a past that exists before them. And there are ways and means of doing so that doesn't involve museums or public statues. Um, And those ways, I think, are crucial when it comes to educating people. These books should be read in our schools. Um, The stories of 1956, the stories of our past written by people living through them and reflecting on them should be part of what we read, and not just in history classes, but in language lessons. Um, And that, I think, is partly how one remembers and commemorates the past through living memory.
0: You've written and bemoaned uh, the underfunding of universities, museums, libraries, and archives, uh, and uh, people who tend to sometimes think that with so many pressing issues and challenges today, uh, that perhaps these are a luxury. Why is that a bad idea? Why is that dangerous for us to think?
1: I think it's a bad idea um, to think of the cultural memory of any society as a luxury. Um, It certainly doesn't have the same kind of urgency as hunger um, or as thirst, but it shouldn't be neglected. And this does not mean that we have to have fancy um, glass towers as museums or as universities. Uh, A university or a school only exists in the curriculum that is taught in the act of learning of those who attend it and in university spaces in the debates that ensue in the classrooms and lecture halls. A building is not what a university is. Yes, some buildings are nice to have, and I think we've simply replaced uh, the idea of the university with a kind of corporate construction uh, that involves, you know, technology, and that assumes the university has a relationship to. Um, the, the economy that is one of utility. In the same way, we've understood museums to be spaces in which we solidify and ossify, in which we almost turn into stone, uh, a certain particular memory of the past. But museums are not also places of debate and argument about the past, as well as informing people about what those debates in the past were about the past and what the debates in the present are about the past. And those dynamic relations, I think, are something that a useful, and, sorry, a very good critical literary education would provide an ordinary person, yeah. the tools with to, uh, to accept and to grapple with on a daily basis without becoming, shall we say, unward, unstuck or, or deeply unhappy.
0: One of the things that, that, that sort of uh, is difficult to get over is, of course, uh, at the height of uh, the protests around tuition fees in this country uh, in 2016, uh, the burning of uh, works of fine art at UCT, which was ironic because, of course, uh, the art that was burned was by uh, the that University's uh, first black Master of Fine Arts graduate, Gerasome Se Baholo, but also commemorating the life and work of Molly Blackburn not knowing who those people were and what that work was about uh, is exactly the kind of thing that happens when we don't preserve our memory in the way that we ought.
1: And when we don't have critically literate education, when we have corporate education. I mean, I remember the murals um, at the University of Cape Town uh, commemorating and marking experiences of uh, various issues in apartheid were removed actively. I was a young teacher at the university when uh, they started clearing the graffiti off the walls, when the Molly Blackburn Hall, which was part of the Students' Union at the time uh, at Yellow Level, suddenly got turned into something else. And those kinds of erasures of memories are not just because people are too young to remember, it's because organizations and whole institutions in society actively construct that erasure, and then are surprised when young people who come into those institutions, and I don't just mean UCT, I mean the institution of higher education, are not magically equipped with remembering what had happened before. We cannot simply blame young people for the world that they inherit and for their views of the world. They are, after all, the people who we have taught to be in the world, whether as members of families, as teachers. Um, or just as ordinary human beings in this society. This is not to absolve the young of blame, that we must also introspect those of us who are older. This is a majority young country in which most of the people are under 35. This is a country in which most of the people who govern it and its institutions are over 60. And that ought to concern us, because it is not to say that those who are old have nothing to contribute, but if we yeah. have a particular view and experience of the world that I think we owe it to ourselves that we actually impart that view to others and then step aside when the moment comes to, with the certainty that we've equipped and empowered those younger people to run the society in a way that is also good for them and good for us. And that, I think, is one of the tragedies of post apartheid South Africa, that the education system yeah. has not delivered us with that kind of confidence that we can hand it over.
0: Angelo Fick, always a pleasure to chat to you, Director of Research at ASRI.